Do you think that the case for global free trade stands up nowadays, given the current situation? I think the case for global free trade needs to be rebalanced and refocused. Um, there were expectations made of free of there were expectations about free trade based on concepts of the old economy that uh, no longer apply. Uh, trade has always displaced people, economic transitions has always displaced people, but the notion always was that it would create new jobs to replace the old ones. And while that is still happening, the new jobs that are being created are not jobs available to the same people who lost the old jobs, or they may even not even be geographically located in the same place. And we also didn't account for automation and uh, artificial intelligence and advances in technology, which have increased, pr increased productivity of the individual worker but eliminated, in some cases, uh, many very important jobs. So all that needs to be taken into account. But, and what about, though, the element of it that involves not everyone playing by the same rules? Does free trade exist in the world today? Well, that's the other point. I mean, free trade, all free trade agreements and all free trade concepts come with a set of rules that, that govern how trade is conducted. And for a number of years, uh, the advanced economies have allowed the so-called developing economies to cheat on some of those rules under the notion that if uh, they became richer, they would become more democratic and then more bought into the global trading system. Well, in the particular case of China, that hasn't worked. And uh, the argument that they're a developing country is now absurd, of course. But um, So there's no doubt that trade agreements don't work unless the rules that are created are enforced and the mechanisms that are created to enforce them function. And what do you? What are the most serious r breaking of rules that China has done, in your view? Well, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, they obviously uh, don't respect intellectual property. They force the transfer of technology. They have massive barriers to entry into their marketplace, but ex but assume all of the benefits of access to the marketplace of the United States and other countries. Um, they, they force countries, uh, they force uh, foreign companies that do business in China to partner uh, in a minority position with domestic companies. They interfere with hiring the workforce uh, or the management of that company, and they steal your, if it's an intellectual property-based business, they steal your technology, they steal your methods, they steal your uh, uh, secrets, and uh, once they can do it as well as you can, they become your competitor and put you out of business. So what would you say is the remedy for this, how to make, change the situation? Yeah, I, I think we can no longer tr treat China as some developing country that should be allowed to skip on the rules because um, once they become prosperous, they'll become democratic and they'll buy into the global trading system. China's made very clear that the global economic order created after the Second World War is not an order that they necessarily intend to abide by. They will more than they're happy to assume all of its benefits, but none, none of its responsibilities or obligations. And so that needs to be rebalanced. And we intend to begin very shortly with legislation that would prevent, by law, American based companies from transferring technology that the president deems to be critical to our national security. And ultimately, it's a very simple concept, and that is that. Their companies doing business in the United States should face the exact same barriers and the exact same restrictions and the exact same requirements that American companies doing business in China do. And do you think this will change China's behavior? I hope it will. I don't seek to contain China. In fact, I welcome their rise as a global power. I don't think unipolar worlds are good. I think it's important to have multiple uh, 
nations with both the capacity and the willingness to be responsible stakeholders to solve global issues. Uh, but it needs to be a balanced rise. If it comes at our expense or to our detriment, you, you end up with an, an imbalance that leads to conflict, both economic and potentially military. Uh, and the world certainly doesn't want or need that. So um, I, I think that uh, this relationship needs to be rebalanced and, and hopefully they'll realize that. Do you think that tariffs work? I think by and large you'd prefer not to have tariffs, uh, but sometimes they are necessary to protect a key domestic industry uh, that is critical to the national security or welfare of a country or of a people. My number one obligation as a policymaker is not to the global order, it's to the men and women of the United States of America. I do believe by and large that being able to trade products uh, across borders uh, free of uh, tariffs and, and duties is the ideal outcome but it doesn't always work, and it also depends which country you're trading with. And if it leads to massive displacement of your workforce and your workers, um, then either you need to make sure you're doing something to buffer that displacement successfully, or you need to recalibrate the pace of that opening. Because ultimately, our number one obligation is not to the economy, it's to our people. Right. I ask in part because I think you've written that the some of the tariffs introduced recently will mainly serve to raise prices for the American supply chain. Well, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, canceling NAFTA. I do believe that it needs to be uh, modernized, and I would imagine. And I know the Mexicans agree. And when you're negotiating with anyone on something of that importance, those negotiations will be heated. I think the negotiations with Canada are going to be actually are been harder than the ones with Mexico. Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of uh, the, the measures that were taken against the European nations in Argentina and Brazil. These are geopolitical and military allies, and I, who I think by and large uh, are, are obviously taking advantage of any loopholes they might find in trade, but ultimately they seek uh, to, uh, to partner with us in the world. I would have focused almost, I would have focused first and foremost exclusively on China. And I would have uh, recruited those nations uh, to our side who have similar, they have similar concerns about China. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm most interested in the China aspect of this, uh, because as you say, other countries, it's a very different case. So do you think tariffs work? I think tariff, I think you'd prefer not to have them, but sometimes they need to be used in order to create a rebalancing. And the other thing that this has exposed is how many of our critical industries are uh, dependent upon access to the Chinese, Chinese market. Are many of, of the men and women in our agriculture industry, for example, soybeans, where China is a, a huge part of their marketplace, we should not be so heavily dependent on a singular market. I actually think that's an argument for expanding our trade agreements with multiple other nations uh, to ensure that we have a diversity in, in our export markets and are not so heavily dependent on one nation. Uh, but ultimately, I think tariffs here are being used. Uh, you can debate whether the right ones were used, but tariffs are being used as an effort to send both a message and uh, begin the process of recalibrating this relationship. Ideally, you don't want tariffs, but sometimes they're necessary in order to protect a key industry or in order to create the, the environment for a rebalancing. And I'm interested in the other part of what you said there also, that some of the measures you'd like to use to counter China, but you would also like to counter that with a policy of more trade deals elsewhere. Is that, a, uh, is that your vision? 
Sure. So if you're an American grower of soybeans right now, or even or uh, you have a, a pork operation, a significant percentage of your sales are to China. If China retaliates against you, those farmers and those interests then come to Washington and complain. They're, they're frightened. And I think what I'm most frightened about is that they have that amount of leverage over key industries in our country. And so if we had trade agreements with other countries in Asia, if we had broader trade agreements um, in Latin America, uh, then we would have access to those markets and the ability to sell to them. Now, I think in the soybean case, a lot of the soybeans, the Chinese would basically have to buy the entire Brazilian and a significant percentage of the Argentine production in order to, re to uh, replace the United States. That would then mean that the current buyers of Brazilian and uh, the, the current buyers of Brazilian and Argentine uh, soybeans would then in turn buy ours. So it would rebalance in the in the long term, but it would create a real disruption in the short term. It sounds a bit like the Obama trade agenda. What you're describing. Well, the Obama trade agenda was about uh, in, in the Asia Pacific context was about expanding that and. Uh, the ability of having more countries that we can trade with, uh, in, 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 and these were developed economies, and that's what distinguished TPP from some of the other agreements that were out there, is that we were trading with developed economies who were, also, who were producers and exporters, not simply source, uh, places to outsource or, or lower on the supply chain. So it distinguished it somewhat. It is also, by the way, the reason why Mexico is so attractive for some manufacturers, because they have free trade agreements with a significant percentage of global GDP. So I do think that one of the remedies to the imbalance with China is better trade arrangements with multiple other markets that, so, that, uh, so that our portfolio is more diverse. Um, it's like a business. If you're a business and you have one big client and that big client changes, you go bankrupt. We don't want to have just one big client for our export products on, in agriculture. Right. So what do you see here as the worst case scenario? Are we looking at a trade war? Potentially. Um, uh, I hope not. No one, I think, wins a trade war. But I think the worst case scenario, frankly, is that the White House settles for some sort of uh, symbolic uh, agreement with the Chinese, some you know, promise to open their market a little bit, and takes that as a win and pockets it and then walks away, because this is probably our last best chance to rebalance this agreement, this relationship. I would also encourage everyone to view it not simply through the lens of the United States, but through the lens of Europe as well. And um, this is our last best chance to recalibrate all of our relationships with China. If we fail in that endeavor, I think this may be irreversible and it has geopolitical implications, not just economic implications. It begins to have geopolitical implications. We've already seen how China has used its market as leverage on other nations um, in order to um, achieve or accomplish uh, foreign policy objectives. Right. And do you think then that the U.S., uh, maybe with allies, can actually change China's behavior and its management of its own economy? I do. I don't think the Chinese want a trade war. I think their primary interest, other than protecting the Communist Party's grip on power, is to uh, grow economically into a developed global power. They cannot do that. Uh, their economy is hit hard and loses access to key markets and key technology. I'm not sure that their leadership has ever confronted anything like this. Their traditional approach to these sorts of challenges has been to unleash American corporate CEOs. I know Tim Cook is talking today from Apple's perspective to the president. They come in, they make this argument that this is bad, and the president's back down because some American company is complaining. Well, Apple's not an American company, and they're a multinational company headquartered in the United States 
whose obligations are to its shareholders who are from all over the world. Uh, our obligation is to the American people and to the taxpayers uh, who pay our salaries and send us here to represent them. And so I think the worst case scenario is that the White House settles for some symbolic agreement and backs down. I think that would be catastrophic. It would send a, it would send a message that America's on the decline, the West is on the decline, and China's on the rise, and we may never be able to revisit this issue again. If China doesn't change its behavior or it doesn't change fast enough, would you support broader protectionism as a policy remedy or response to that? Well, I, I, don't think, I think they're defensive measures that I would support, irrespective of what China agrees to. The bottom line is we are not going to allow China to come in and buy uh, up key portions of key industries that are important to the United States. Uh, we're not going to sit here and let them embed their technology and their influence into our uh, telecommunications system, which they can one day weaponize against us in a moment of conflict. Uh, we're not going to allow China to continue to force American companies to take the research that's been funded by American universities in some cases and supported by the American taxpayer and many others and transfer that so that the Chinese can reverse engineer it and leapfrog us. Those things we're not going to continue to allow irrespective of what happens on the a trade agreement. Um, those are, to me, two separate topics. Even if trade with China was on par and fair, what is not fair is the stealing of intellectual property, which is, in addition to having significant economic consequences, uh, has grave national security implications for the West. Right. So you've mentioned uh, American allies and the idea of perhaps coordinating action on this topic. So about a week ago, I went and interviewed the a senior person in a British company that has just received huge Chinese investment and might well have gone bankrupt or been broken up without that investment. So I'm wondering how you make the argument for smaller countries like the UK or other European allies to go with the US on this when they are benefiting from Chinese investment. Well, what I've advised the president, number one, is to cancel or to immediately issue permanent exemptions to tariffs on all of our allied nations and focus exclusively on China. I think all of these nations, and, and uh, including the UK, all of our European partners, and other nations in Latin America, all wish, all have sentiments similar to ours. Uh, perhaps none on its own could potentially pursue the route that we're pursuing, but collectively, I think we could achieve incredible things in terms of this rebalancing. In the case of the particular company you just cited, I, that's a frightening situation you just outlined. I don't know the particulars of the deal or what the, if it was just a capital infusion, that's one thing. But if somehow through that investment, uh, uh, some Chinese company has now uh, uh, created a dominant position or a position of significant leverage over a key industry in the UK, it, it highlights how important this is and, and how um, the, the, the Chinese could potentially use those sorts of arrangements you see, uh, to create geopolitical leverage on the UK in the future. Uh, we've seen how they've done it to Sri Lanka, where they've been basically buried them in debt. Uh, we've seen what they've done in Greece and buying up port. Um, and that's uh, par for the course in many other places in the world where they have these dominant positions in key industries and then they have incredible leverage on policymakers um, because they'll unleash those business interests on policymakers to back down when China's challenged. Right. So, so you would you would say that the countries should not accept Chinese investment, but is this just a you would re restrict it for reciprocal reasons that you would want the same access? Well, 
and I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not talking about Chinese and I'm not talking about Chinese investment and it's to, so total. I mean, if some wealthy Chinese investor wants to come to the United States and buy a property somewhere, um, by and large, I don't see that would be problematic unless it implicates some national security element. What I am concerned about is that they come to the United States and they buy uh, a key company in the technology chain, as an example, who might be a supplier and they now control that technology. And so they're not being reviewed because the purchase is under the level of review that we have in the United States, a process that, by the way, many nations in Europe do not have when reviewing those sorts of purchases, and they should have something like our CFIUS process. They come in and buy a smaller company under the CFIUS threshold, and that company provides a key component that is part of an American company's infrastructure. And before you know it, you've got the federal government and other key industries in this country with technology that has an American company's name on it, but embedded within that technology is some piece, some, some piece of technology or some component that the Chinese control and could use against us in a moment of conflict or as an opportunity for leverage in the future. And uh, that's what I'm concerned about. That's what I would be focused on when it comes to national security. Right. Do you think, you, you've mentioned technology a lot. Do you think that most Americans are aware, I think we're used to seeing simpler manufactured goods with made on China on them. Do you think that most Americans are aware that China is now becoming a very advanced uh, maker of stuff and that they're competing on cutting edge technology and a whole second generation of jobs and industries could be at risk? Probably not. And, uh, and that's not what we're aiming at. I've never argued that the making of textiles and plastic toys are going to return to the United States. And in fact, more than ever, I think they're going to be increasingly automated to the point where it won't matter where they're headquartered. Um, but I do believe that at the cutting edge industries at the top, that's what China is now aiming at, as you've pointed out. And one of the ways they're making advances there in the whole China 2020 made in China effort is, is to reverse, to buy up our companies that are leaders in those industries, reverse engineer the technology that allowed them to be leaders and then become competitors. That is blatant, uh, violation of all norms and the very concept of intellectual property is one they don't seem to understand or respect so um, it's at the high end of production and many of the advances that you point to have been made because they've lured american companies in with the promise of their market they forced them to partner with the chinese counterpart the chinese counterpart reverse engineers what the american or the western company's doing and now they've become their competitor and uh, we that cannot continue so if you were president, what would you do? Well, on, on the case of China, it would be similar to these uh, measures that you're now seeing. But in particular, I would have been heavily, increasingly focused on uh, preventing uh, their, their ability. I, I would, for example, uh, prohibit key American sectors from transferring technology. And that would include things outside of telecommunications, by the way. I would, in fact, prohibit the transfer of, of technology, irrespective of whatever contracts they have in China. I would uh, lower the CFIUS threshold and improve the process by which we review foreign investment in U.S. companies um, and become stricter on that. I would, I would identify core industries to, of the, to the United States that we will need capacity in in the future and ensure that those industries are protected, uh, particularly in the industrial field, things like shipbuilding and the manufacturing of high-end electronics and the like, I would begin to immediately explore uh, opening domestic sources and alternative sources of rare earth minerals that are critical to uh, com critical components of a lot of the technology that we now use. I would invest a massive infusion of federal funding in biomedicine and in artificial intelligence and quantum computing 
because whoever wins that uh, battle is going to, in many ways, uh, be in a great position in the, in the new economy. So these are the sort of proactive measures that we'll actually be introducing legislation on here very shortly. Right. And I wonder also, have you had a conversion to this cause? Because I think during the primary campaign, this didn't seem to be a hugely prominent theme for you. Yeah, I think I've grown to, I've grown into a position that more fully appreciates how destabilizing uh, these trends have been. In essence, I still see and celebrate the benefits of trade and of the global economy but I'm much more sensitive and sympathetic and compassionate towards the pain and the, and the displacement that it's caused. Uh, it is true that uh, if a worker at a fast food restaurant in the United States is replaced by technology, an automated screen, that that job may be eliminated, but new jobs will be created manufacturing that machine, installing it and maintaining it. What perhaps I wasn't sympathetic to enough is that the person who lost their job at the fast food restaurant is not going to be the person that is going to be retrained to build that new machine, maintain, install it, and maintain it. Uh, they're not going to, they're later in life, they're, they're not going to be, companies are not going to invest the money to retrain them. They may potentially have to move halfway across the country. For, for a working class family, it's very difficult. And so the result is you have millions of Americans that have been displaced by this economic transformation, and policymakers have not done nearly enough to address it or buffer it. We can't prevent the future. I'm not asking us to go back to the 1970s. I am saying that our policies, and con American conservatism in particular, needs to be more sensitive and responsive to the millions of Americans that are going to continue to be displaced in the years to come, not just by globalization, but by artificial intelligence and advances in technology. Right, which feeds into my last question, which is, isn't Hasn't trade and China become scapegoats for a failure of the U.S. government to educate people and to invest sufficiently that they can adapt? No, I think irrespective of the trade situation, the, 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 the trade conflict with China is broader than trade. It is about geopolitics. I view the, the showdown with China as one of geopolitical uh, magnitude that is impossible to uh, exaggerate. Um, and uh, I think the mistake there has been that for the better part of 20 or 25 years, foreign policy elites on the left and the right bought into this notion that once China became richer, they would become democratic and they would see the wisdom of the Western values of liberal trade rules and the like. And it was a massive miscalculation. Instead, they have become more authoritarian through a Confucian Communist Party synergy and government, and they do not view the global trade order created after World War II as one that they created or are necessarily bound to abide by. In fact, they seek to replace almost all the institutions of the post-World War II order to their benefit. They view this in many ways as a zero-sum game, and, um, and I think that was a massive miscalculation. We were late to it, but better late than never. Okay, well, thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to cover or mention? No, I think we covered a lot. I appreciate you touching this topic. I, I, uh, and I just, you know, the one thing I wanted to make clear again is that I would caution everyone that we should not view this whole situation with China as simply about trade. Uh, the geopolitical implications of it are extraordinary. There are two ways forward. One is a proper balance between the West and China in which China continues to grow, but so does the West, and there's a level of uh, balance there that prevents conflict, both economic and, and military. 
and another in which an imbalance develops, in which China grows more powerful at the expense of the West and the free nations on Earth, and that, I believe, would lead to conflict, and no one wants that. A war between the West and China would be catastrophic. But that is what we are inviting if we allow there to be a economic or military imbalance between the, United, the West and China.